The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Phone lines are open. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us on the broadcast. Phone lines are wide open, literally wide open, waiting for you. Any question on any subject of any kind that relates in any way to anything we ever talk about on the line of fire, anything I ever write about, anything you've heard about associated with me, you want to get the record set straight, give us a call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Again, all questions, all calls on all subjects, warmly welcomed. Also, it's been a few weeks since we've been able to do a YouTube chat I was out of state and, and, well, almost out of the country. Hawaii feels like it's out of the country uh, for two weeks uh, ministering. And then this week we have not been able to schedule the YouTube chat. So I'll also take some questions that are posted on YouTube as well. So if you post your question on YouTube, uh, our guys will grab a bunch of questions and post them for me to respond to as well. 866 Three four eight seven eight eight four. Before I go to the phones, I want to clarify something important about revival, about outpouring. When I said earlier in the week that I was convinced what was happening at Asbury was real, there were a number of reasons for it. Obviously, when something is, is only a few weeks old to call it, quote, revival, you can question, well, can we really call it revival or is it premature? This had all the marks of outpouring revival and is coming at a time when I've been saying that the first waves of revival in America are already here. And then this happens, Asbury happens. So to me, it was just God's way of getting attention. New York Times had a front page article about it just as years earlier in the Brownsville days. Rick Bragg came from the New York Times, wrote about Brownsville, and that ended up on the front page of the New York Times. And then that led to a flood of, of media coming in after that. So. There are different moves, different seasons, God moving in different ways. You can never put it in a box and say it's going to be the same way, etc. But people say, yeah, but look, a lot of the students there, they're in a different place and they have different views on key issues. And, and a lot of, you know, LGBTQ solidarity with some of the students, etc. Well, this is a Christian campus and you're going to have people from varied backgrounds there. It's not even like a ministry school where people have to live in a certain way and be in the Word a certain amount of time, doing outreach. You know, you can't make as many requirements just on, on a campus. But God's bringing stuff to the surface. A lot of stuff is coming up to the surface. And it, it may be a period of months or years to see the full implications of how this works itself out and how the fire reveals things that are problematic and how God changes the hearts and attitudes and minds of many who are touched. But I just got another uh, note today from someone on Facebook saying, when I was there, what I saw was, was genuine contrition and humility and repentance. Well, that comes out of the presence of God. Now, that must be joined with the teaching and preaching of the Word as weeks and months go on in different settings. Word and Spirit must go hand in hand, otherwise you will have an imbalanced work. But don't, don't judge just by report here, report there, or, or something coming up that may not be the best because the, the fires of revival bring a lot of stuff up to the surface. All right. With that, 
Let us go over to Theodore in Toledo, Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Michael Brown. Um, hey. I'm, it's an honor to get a chance to talk to you and uh, ask these questions. And Great. your ministry has been very helpful to me. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. So um, I go to a church, and we have uh, changed our views on the gifts. And, mm -hmm. and then they're actually act more active than what we normally believe. Uh, the only issue is I've been bringing up questions on how to discern to make sure these are actually from God and not just another spirit mm -hmm. trying to deceive us. Right. Uh, and I'm not sure how to go about that. Like, um, and I've asked my, the elders of my church how to do this, and the only response really boils down to, well, what do you think? It's, it, it doesn't seem like we really know yet. Right. So, now. yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that they are opening up and, and uh, in, embracing the gifts more. And I expect to see that all over the country, as it's been happening all over the world for years, more and more churches opening up and embracing gifts because God is pouring out his spirit and it is so clearly biblical. So number one, Jesus gives us a principle. He said, which man uh, is there of you? If, if his son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. And then he says, Matthew 7, if you then being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give good things to, to his? But in Luke, it says, if you being evil know how to give good things to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? So the first thing is, if we come to God sincerely and say, Lord, you've told us in your word to earnestly seek the gifts. You've told us in your word to, to eagerly desire to prophesy so that you can be glorified and people can be touched and edified. You told us to do these things. You said to ask and we'll receive. So, Father, we're coming to you, our Heavenly Father. Ask you to fill us afresh with your Spirit and manifest your Spirit through us. We shouldn't be thinking that we're going to get something else. We shouldn't be imagining that as we pray that prayer, Satan's going to intercept it and come in with a counterfeit. It's one thing if you say, I just want a supernatural experience. Wherever it comes from, I want it. Well, you better believe the devil's going to seize that moment, right? or potentially yeah. seize that moment. But if we as children are going to him, he's saying, if you know how to give good to your children, how much more does your heavenly father give, know how to give the Holy Spirit to them who ask him? So that's number one. That's first thing. And that's a biggie, that my, my presumption is I have a relationship with God Almighty as my father. And when I come to him in sincerity, he is not going to give me a snake when I, when I ask for fish. He's not gonna give me a stone when I ask for bread. He's not going to allow the devil to send some counterfeit manifestation when I'm asking him for his holy and pure spirit. That's first thing. Second thing is that Satan will not glorify Jesus. Satan will not produce fruit of repentance. Satan will not bring people into closer relationship to God and his word. So when, let's just say, someone begins to speak in tongues, they, they feel overwhelmed, they begin to speak in tongues, and, and then out of that, uh, interpretation is given. And as a result of that, three people there who are living a certain way get convicted by God and get right with God. Well, the devil didn't do that. The devil doesn't do that kind of thing. And Paul so, okay, okay, may, out, I, may I ask a question yeah, on that? Yeah, sure, sure. So that's been one of the main points was the saying has been from multiple leaders is, if someone gets healed, it has to be wrong. There is no deception that could really happen. Well, if you're and, praying, and that's, that's if you're the praying, question. right, but we shouldn't question it. In other words, if we're praying to the Father, 
in Jesus' name to heal someone, oh. to, to demonstrate the love of God, and for the good of that person, that's not the devil if it happens. I, I think I left out a, a part because I've had that question, but I, I, I mentioned with tying to that is like, even if the person is preaching, like they're not actually preaching Christ, they're preaching a a man-made version of the Christ. Like Christ is only wanting to be happy, like avoiding this, the idea of sin and repentance. That's been part of the, the issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So here's the thing. Miracles do not prove doctrine. It's a great question, Theodore. I'm so glad you're asking it. Miracles don't prove doctrine. When we preach the gospel to the world, signs and wonders will confirm that gospel message. Yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is Lord. Okay? But okay. when I'm, let's say, I, I get up from the pulpit and preach, Jesus is coming after the tribulation. I don't believe in the pre-tribulation. And now I'm going to pray yep. for the sick, and the miracles are going to confirm my doctrine. Then you get up at your church and you say, I believe in a pre-trib rapture, and after the message, I'm going to pray for the sick, and the miracles are going to confirm my doctrine. No, the miracles confirm that God is a miracle worker. The miracles confirm that God is a healer. Doctrine must be tested by Scripture. So people may be preaching a weak message, but genuinely seeking the Lord for the manifestation of his gifts and power, and God may work. Remember the mess that was at Corinth, right? That all the junk going on from immorality to doctrinal error to disunity and other problems to dishonoring the Lord's table, all this junk was going on, and yet the gifts were fully manifest, and Paul commended them for not lacking any spiritual gift and being eager for these things, but they were misusing things. So they were misusing tongues, but he never said it wasn't tongues. They had doctrinal error, but he he didn't deal with doctrinal error with gifts. He said, here's the doctrinal error for X, Y, Z reasons. So doctrine is tested by scripture. The gifts are tested by, are they in harmony? Are they, are they in harmony with what's written in the word? And are they bearing good fruit? Here, uh, I'll give this, this last example. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's possible, theoretically, that we could be self-deceived, that we could convince ourselves of that right? So, well, but my life was changed. Okay, my life was changed, and I see the authority of Scripture, and the integrity of Scripture, etc., etc. So, we have our experience, and then our experience is in, in harmony with the Word, draws us closer to God. Well, the same way, when I started speaking in tongues, how do I know I'm not making it up? January 24th, 1972. How do I know I'm not making it up? Well, because I tried to speak in tongues before that, and I couldn't. And as the more I pray in tongues, the more I realize I'm not making it up because my mind can be meditating on Scripture and I'm speaking in tongues. If I was speaking in English, I'd I'd start saying what I'm meditating on. But now, as the days go on, weeks go on, months go on, the more I pray in tongues, the more edified I get, the closer I get to God. So I see the fruit of it. So the same thing that over time things are manifest and, and that's when you begin to see if someone prophesies, two or three others who are prophetically gifted should weigh the prophecy and test it. Everything must be tested in that regard. But in terms of the general attitude, don't, don't assume that the enemy can just get in and take over. Again, if Jesus is being glorified, if lives are being built up, and if the gifts are operating as written, then you should rejoice and embrace it as from the Lord. And uh, always be discerning that when something is wrong, when, you know, generally, the more that you operate in the real and the true, 
the more evident it will become that, that something's wrong. Something does, that person's just in the flesh. They're just getting worked up in the flesh. Or that's clearly demonic. That's destructive. That's demonic. Bring that person out. They need deliverance. So hopefully that, that's helpful. The tree is ultimately known by the fruit that it produces. But have an embracing, confident attitude that when you go to your father, he sends what's good. And where there's doctrinal error or issues like that, that, by all means, that's what you really want to focus on. Okay, are we really preaching the gospel? Are we preaching the full message? Are we compromising the message? That would be the thing I'd really focus on myself. Hey, thank you so much for the call. Get your other calls on the other side of the break. Got line or two open, 866-348-7884. Hey, we've got an important word from our sponsor, Trivita. By all means, give it a good listen. We'll be right back. the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown i i I love doing talk radio i love being able to take your calls and interact with you such a thrill to do that 866-34-TRUTH oh yeah so I, i i do a lot of my workouts are very heavy cardio with some lifting put in, but I've been trying to do more lifting just to, to build up more muscle. So yeah, I, I was thinking of this ad today as I was doing my lifting and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm making progress. So that number, if you missed it for Trivita, 800-811-9628 or over at the website, trivita.com. Be sure to use the Brown 25 code to get your discount. And yeah, we're, we are starting next week. We're going to our expansion plan moving forward. So really excited about it. Thank you for all those praying for us. Thank you for those who give and support us. And thank you for the Trivita orders. I, I really trust you'll be blessed with them. And 100% of your first order is going to get us talking to more people every day across the nation. All right, we go to Anthony in New York City. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Thank you for taking my call. You are very welcome. So my question is about Genesis, mm-hmm. and it's about um, Sarah. Yes. And how it, in, in the first chapter, it, chapter 17, verse 17, it says that Abraham fell on his feet, and he laughed in his heart when God told him that he was going to give him a son. But then a, a few chapters after, when Sarah is, you know, is, um, gets the news, she laughs as well. But God recommends her for laughing. So I'm, I'm questioning myself, what was the difference between Sarah laughing and Abraham's laughing? Because they both laughed, but God reprimanded Sarah, but he didn't reprimand Abraham. Right. So a great question. To me, it's very similar to Luke chapter 1, when Zechariah is, meets with Gabriel, the, the angel, and Gabriel says to him, you know, you and your wife are going to have a child, and he questions how is it going to be. And Gabriel rebukes him, right? And says, you won't right. be able to speak. And, and, you know, here I am in the presence of God, and you're not believing me. You won't be able to speak until the child's born. Miriam, Mary, asks this question of Gabriel when she's told she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And she says, how can this be? And he just answers her. So it, it would seem that it's just a matter of a different situation or a different relationship. Say, and I'll come back to Genesis, with Zechariah, he should have known better. 
Here he is a priest serving in the temple with an angel appearing. You don't question it. You bow down in reverence. Oh, my. And if you ask, how is it going to be? It's not unbelief. It's like, oh, that's amazing. How is it going to happen? That's how it seems that Miriam must ask it. How is that going to be? Wow. This is, I, I can't believe it. I do believe it. So it could well be with Abraham. It's just, this is, this is, a, this is impossible. And he just laughs out loud, but he really believes it's just, it's too much. It's, it's like if the Lord came to me to say, okay, son, I'm going to raise you up now to be the world's best football player. And you're going to set all kinds of NFL records. You know, I burst out, I'm a believer, but I'm almost 68. Right. You know, that my best, I was never going to make within a million miles of the NFL. But it would seem with Sarah that after all this time in God's faithfulness and the Lord actually being there present a certain way uh, and, and her even denying it, there must have been more unbelief there. It, there must have just been a different attitude because otherwise there's no real explanation. You know, so sometimes you have that with, with two children. It seems that their attitude is, is the same. It seems that their words are the same, but the parent really sees one is, is acting up in rebellion and the other is really questioning. So it just seemed something different behind their laughter and God responds to that. And we learn what was in the hearts based on the response. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, excellent. Well, hey, thank you for the question. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, the, the, the other thing, one other thought comes to mind uh, is, is that Abraham okay, the years have gone on, and the longer the years have gone on, the easier it is to not believe, and the easier it is to think this is impossible, this is impossible, this is impossible. However, however, it could well be that they've had all these years to digest it and to hear it and to talk about it, so when the Lord speaks, it should have been more readily believed. Um, it is interesting sometimes that you go to the Lord with an earnest question, and you're expecting to, to get reprimanded, and instead he replies with grace and love. And other times, you're, you've had it, you're ready to quit, and he responds with a reprimand. That happens with Jeremiah, like Jeremiah 15. It's like, okay, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I'm done. And God basically says, if you repent, I can still use you. I don't want to be you. If you repent, I can still use you. And then other times you expect God to just rebuke you and he comes with tremendous patience, compassion. He knows who we are, what we're dealing with. 866-348-7884. Let's go to Jim in Michigan. Jim, you are on the line of fire. Caught you by surprise. Here you go. Yes, yes. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Um, yeah, I um, you know, know your position on the um, uh, tribulation and the rapture of the church. Mm -hmm. And in earlier in your years, you didn't have that position. And later on, you know, you said that you changed position. Yep. Um, and I just want to hear um, your opinion and your uh, voice on the, and referring to the ten virgins, five mm -hmm. wise and five are foolish, and they were all waiting for the bridegroom. Yep. Um, and the cry went out, and they all prepared. They went to trim their lights. And uh, the five foolish says, well, our lights have gone out. You know, he says, um, we have no more oil. Give unto us. And the wife said, oh, we can't do that. It won't be enough for all of us, but go, go there and buy. And then when they went to buy, the, the, this is the bridegroom came and took those that were uh, watching and waiting for him. And it says, and a lot of believers read over this, it says, when the marriage door was shut mm -hmm. when the Lord had taken them. 
Right. And so where, later where on, did, it, it goes hang on, where, where did they go? Me? Where did they go? They went to the, the marriage supper. It says the marriage supper door was where, shut. Right, so right. The Lord where, came. where was the marriage supper? It went into heaven. No, no, no. That was kind of tied. No, 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 no. No, no. no, okay. no that's right. what you, you all respect. Well, where, where did they go then? They went right. to, to the marriage go? celebration right there. And the others, the bridegroom came. The virgins are not the bride. Right. The virgins are not the bride. The virgins are, are, are the bridesmaids. They're the ones just waiting. They're waiting to. Well, did you know? The, did you know that Joseph Smith? That's that's the doctrine of Joseph Smith of the Latter Day Saints. That's no, their no, doctrine. No, that, no, that, no, the, Jim, that the virgins Jim, were brides. No, Jim. Jim, hang on, hang on. Did the man marry five wives? Is that it? He was going to marry ten, but he only married five. The fact that Joseph Smith may have had one thing right is immaterial. So, just to answer your question, because you wanted my understanding. The bridesmaids are not, he was not marrying 10 women. Jesus was not giving a parable about a man about to marry 10 women, but only five were ready, so they married five. No. These are the ones that grief him. The, the bridegroom comes into the town. They grief him and bring him over to the wedding right there. Okay, the, the marriage supper takes place right here on the earth. There's nothing about a marriage supper in heaven, not a syllable in the entire Bible about it. You will not find a single verse the entire Bible, about a marriage supper in heaven. Nothing whatsoever. Right, so so let, me, let me just finish then. So it's a parable about being ready for his return. That's, that's what it's teaching us. And he gives us many, many different parables about being ready for his return. Yes, so if you are not living right with God, if you have walked away from God, and, and you are not in right relationship with God, and Jesus returns, you're judged. You're guilty at that point. If you're not in right relationship with God, it's not like, oh, now let me think about it. So he comes in the clouds of heaven. His, his coming, when is it? After the tribulation of those days. That's what Jesus tells us in Matthew 24. Coming what? With the sound of a loud trumpet, trumpet blast. First Corinthians 15 tells us when we're changed, caught up to meet him. That is the last trumpet. So it's the final trumpet blast, the seventh of seven trumpets in Revelation, the 11th chapter there. We're caught up to meet him for the whole world to see. And as in 1 Thessalonians 4, we meet him in the air. That word for meeting is that the crowds would go out to meet the emperor or the royal leader coming into the city and escort him back. So we are resurrected, tra transformed. We meet him in the air and we descend with him as he establishes his kingdom here on the earth. And then here on the earth, we celebrate with a glorious marriage supper. So that's the understanding of the passage. But if Joseph Smith happened to have that right, hey, he gets one out of 50. So be it. I'm not going to change the truth because he happened to get that part right. Hey, Jim, thank you very much for the question. I appreciate it. God bless. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire. You've got questions, we've got answers. By the way, if you want to join our support team, dollar a day, become a torchbearer, we've got great classes that I've taught over the years, prayer, intercessions, angel, prayer, intercessions, angels, demons, deliverance, other things like that. You get free access to all those classes as many times as you want to take them. So, so many benefits come with being a torchbearer. If you'd rather call in, and join our support team, call 800-538-5275. 
800-538-5275. Thanks in advance for standing with us. That's also the same number to call. I just signed a bunch more books to send out, but we've got a few more days. You can get a pre-ordered, signed, numbered copy of Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. Use that same number, 800-538-5ASK. I, I, I got a really, I'm going to go back to the phones in one moment. I got a really neat email today. Some years ago, I took issue with an Episcopalian blogger who was writing on an atheist website and saying I was full of hate and things like that because I didn't want kindergarten kids exposed to transgender identity agendas and things like that. And I, I ended saying, hey, come on the air. Let's have a friendly conversation. That was that. Received an email from that individual today saying, hey, I, I happen to come across your article looking for some older things I had written, and I don't even recognize the person that wrote those other articles. And she said that uh, she was deconstructing in her faith back then, and during COVID, it gave her time to reexamine, and she is orthodox believer, orthodox views on biblical sexuality. So that's just glorious. I'm so thrilled for, for what God's done in her life, and I'm sure that that with the message she has and the ability to articulate it, that she'll bless and help many people. Of course, there's a whole chapter in the new book called Can Deconstruction Be Healthy? And the simple answer, of course, the book will open up in, in depth. The simple answer is, if you're coming with honest questions, can I really trust the Bible? Is God really good? I, I, why is it f only through faith in Jesus that someone can be in right relationship with God? And I don't understand these things. And I've, I've heard that the Bible's historically inaccurate or we can't really trust the translations. But I really want to know, if you're coming with sincere and honest questions, there are sincere and honest answers for you. And your faith will only get stronger. If you're coming like, I don't believe this, I'm going to show it's wrong, you'll, you'll get the answers you're looking for and be confirmed in your unbelief. Now, some get surprised and discover the truth along the way. But it's all the attitude of the heart. And that's the biggest thing. Let's humble ourselves. Humble ourselves before God. Lord, I just want your truth. That's all I want. When it came to the previous caller... I, I held to preach of rapture quite dogmatically, not because I learned it from reading the Bible cover to cover over and over and memorizing thousands of verses, but because I was taught it and read books that reaffirmed it and then found it in the Word. After about four years, four or five years, I thought, wait a second, did I get this from the Bible or from people? And I stepped back and started reading the Bible afresh and thought, oh, oh the things I believed aren't there. I'm, I'm not criticizing you if you hold to that view. Some of the things I used to believe aren't there. And I changed my views, and that was over 45 years ago. So be honest with God. We all grow. We all change in different ways. Lord, I just want to follow you and your truth wherever it leads. If you have that attitude, you'll be blessed. All right, let us go to Christian in Toledo, Ohio. Welcome to the line of fire. How you doing, brother? Doing very well. Thank you. Um, before I ask this question, I, I recognize it may be kids listening and everything like that. Um, so if I want to ask a more adult question, how do I ask that to you without okay, worrying so, about you know, kids listening? All right, so obviously it's Christian radio, so we understand you're not going to be using profanity or anything like that. Oh, However, course, yeah. Right, right, right. No, I'm just telling our listeners. However, oh, okay. you're going to be asking a very specific question that is an adult question. So everybody listening... If there are impressionable little ears that might misunderstand this, you might just want to sing a song for a couple of minutes. And with that, over to you, sir. All right. So it's, it's kind of like a, a, a two-parter, right? So I yeah, asked yeah. the more adult one. 
after this one. Okay, so yeah, I think it's, it's numbers 31, um, 17 through 18. Mm-hmm. I want to know, I'm, I think I have the answer for this, but I just want to get, you know, I want you to see. Um, why would, you know, God command that everyone be killed except the virgins and then they can have the virgins? Like, why would he do that? Right. So it's interesting. I got a call about this very verse earlier in the week, but from a totally different angle. I thought the angle you're asking was going to be raised. So we understand first that the command to kill the enemy seems very harsh to us, right? It, mm-hmm. it seems you know, unfair, but number one, it was the common practice in the ancient world in terms of doing war with enemies and subduing them. Two, there was a certain level of wickedness that had often been reached among these peoples, and if they were left alive, there, there would be corruption that would come to Israel and the nation would be destroyed. Uh, and, and three, it's possible that in some cases you were dealing with, with the final remnants of the Nephilim, these, this, this race of giants that was the offspring of, of human beings, women, and, and fallen angels, and that's why the destruction was so great. But for whatever reason, it was, it was common to put the enemy that refused to submit, to put them to death, and, and that included everybody there. So for God to spare women who had not been with men, so they haven't been defiled. You know, that's part of the concept that once you've slept with someone, you're defiled. That's, that's why female virginity was so highly prized. And it was a mercy for them to be spared and now to be part of the, of the people of Israel. Would that be a practice under the new covenant today? No, we're under a new and better covenant but under the Sinai Covenant, it was a way of having mercy on these women who would then be given time to mourn uh, for their family and loved ones that were lost and now be part of Israel. And if the man that married them decided, hey, I'm, I'm not interested in you anymore, he, he couldn't just sell her or something like that. He had to divorce her just with full rights. So there was still compassion in it. So it's compassion in the midst of a very harsh world and stringent legal system. That, that she could be spared, she's been undefiled, and now she could have a new life as a worshiper of the true God among the people of Israel. It seems very harsh to us, but it was still mercy for her at that time. Okay, okay, I see, I see. All right, this is the this is the adult one now, so everybody listening is just, you know. Yeah, yeah, got it. Uh, okay, now, so I was talking to a few brothers in Christ, and we were speaking about, you know, sex, of course, and marriage and everything like that, and we were speaking um, about sodomy, right? And we just think, what what is okay in a sex, right? You have oral sex and things like that. I don't got to get into too much detail. But, you know, one brother made an argument that oral sex was sodomy. You're not supposed to do it. But another brother said, no, it's not. It's only anal. So what do you think about all of that? Right. So thanks thanks for giving everyone the heads up about the nature of the question. Uh, First, Hebrews 13 has often been misunderstood, that the marriage bed is undefiled. In other words, whatever a couple does within marriage is fine and acceptable in God's sight. That's not what it says. It says, let it be undefiled. In other words, don't commit sexual immorality. Don't commit adultery. It's not saying anything a married couple does is perfectly fine. Uh, Clearly, sodomy is violating God's purpose, God's anatomical purpose and plan, uh, even violating what a system is made for. And that's why a man lying with a man as a man lies with a woman is forbidden. So it is, it is that particular type of penetration 
that is clearly forbidden and clearly contrary to God's order and has all kinds of health issues and problems associated with it, which is not surprising. The question of oral sex, generally through church history, it has been frowned on and considered to be yet another form of immorality and sodomy. The, the reality is that scripture is not as explicit about that as it is about sodomy. And in that case, I recommend that, that couples honestly before the Lord make sure that whatever they do is with a clean and pure conscience before him and that there is no questioning of it and that neither partner feels any type of pressure or coercion. Uh, you never ask someone to compromise their conviction. I'll, I'll use a very simple, simple example. Let's say uh, you, you, you've watched movies for years with certain violence, like good guy, kind of bad guy, and a little profanity, but I mean, it's not really bad. And the violence is, is you know, the good guy gets the bad guy and shoots the head off and so on. It's like, hey, I, I got no problem watching this. And your spouse like, uh, no, I, I'm very uncomfortable with that violence and I don't want to hear any profanity. You always go higher. You say, okay, then we, we step higher. You never pull the one down. You say, all right, yeah. fine. For the, uh, now, if the person is a hyper-legalist, you know, then you have to kind of yeah, minister right. a little grace in there. But you, you agree on the higher moral standard. That's always the good and safe way to go. So the same way, there should never be co coercion or someone feeling that they're compromising an ethic. But the, the issue of, of oral sex is not as explicitly dealt with in Scripture as anal sex, although church tradition over the centuries has normally frowned on it, especially as it, it doesn't have the possibility of being procreative. So we'll leave it there, all right? All right, man. Thank you. You, you bet. Hey, when we say call in with any questions you have, yes, um, I guess that means any questions you have. And that that was perfectly fine for Christian radio. Just one of those, give the warning. Listen, I run into lots of families and the parents come up with the kids and the kids listen every day. And I, I start giving the intro or say, and they repeat the intro with me or they know the phone number to call. So we're good. We are cleared the air now. Everybody can come back in and listen. Uh, let us go to I Rick. Think, I think they're getting ready Rick. to pick up. Hey, Rick, Rick, there you are. Yes. Yeah, yes. yeah, you were right. You were getting ready. Here we are. All to you. Hey, hey. Uh, thanks for taking my call. And uh, hopefully you, you guys can get this YouTube Facebook thing. Uh, we can't hear the caller's voice when they're asking you questions, but luckily you answer it good enough where we can kind of tell what they ask. So okay. That's, that's, that's good. But uh, I, I got a question, and this guy was, he's really legit. He, uh serves under a ministry, which you're real good with his guy he serves under, but he claims to have cast out demons and Christians. And uh, I haven't seen where that's biblically correct, but mm -hmm. but also I, I'm reading where they're casting out demons in the Bible where it doesn't say if they were believers or not, it just say they're casting out demons. So what's your spill on that? Uh, I mean, the guy's a real deal, but I'm just not sure if that's biblically correct correct or not as far as the scripture goes right uh i i did a show a few weeks back about demons deliverance believers and dealt with some of that and i plan to have an interview uh next week with a pastor involved with a major movie on deliverance so i told him hey i'll, I'll raise the challenging questions if you want to come on i'll raise the challenging questions over the controversy so i'll, I'll, I'll answer on the other side of the break stay right there sir and i will be right back
It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Okay, so my apologies. Uh, there is something that's happened with sound that, that you're hearing me but not hearing callers either on Facebook or YouTube. So my profound apologies for that. I'll do my best to get the questions taken as quickly as possible. We haven't had that problem before. So oh, they can you can hear the callers. All right, but only once. Got it, got it. Okay. I have no idea what's going on. It's been explained to me clearly, but I don't get it. Either way, we'll make sure everything is clear to you. Uh, so, so, Rick, uh, a few things. Number one, there are believers who can come under demonic influence, demonic power by opening themselves up to lies or by getting too close to demonic things or whatever, or just coming under severe attack. And there is something on them, about them, gripping them, influencing them that is wrong, that doesn't belong, and we can drive it out in Jesus' name. I don't question that. And if, if we don't think in terms of people de being demon-possessed, but demonized, they've come under the, the power of Satan in some way. We have Luke 13, a woman there who is a daughter of Abraham. So she is of the chosen people and, and should be an object of salvation. But Satan has bound her for 18 years, and she's crippled by a spirit, by Satan, for 18 years. And the Lord sets her free. You are loosed from your infirmity, he says. So if it's a matter of a believer has come under demonic power and this person has done what they know how to do to be free and this, this torment, this thing is still there and it, it becomes clear in prayer that that's what's going on. Yes, you can drive that spirit out. He's somewhere where he doesn't belong. Is he in your yard? Is he in your house? Is he in your head? Is he in your body? That's not my issue. My issue is he's somewhere he doesn't belong. Get out in Jesus' name. I do not believe that a child of God can be possessed by Satan. If, if that person is possessed by Satan, then Jesus is not their Lord, right? If, if Who owns you? The Lord is the one who owns you. You're bought with a price. That means the Lord owns you. So you can't be possessed by Satan and owned by the Lord. But you could be demonized in some way or another. And, and demons can work in all kinds of deceptive and destructive ways. Yeah, but a demon spoke through that person, and they were a believer. Or we saw it through their eyes. The eyes changed. Could be demons have a lot of power and can, can mess with the human body. But I do not believe that where the Holy Spirit dwells in the spirit of a believer, that a demon can dwell there as well. So I end up not splitting hairs over some technical, very important questions. Because to me, the issue is, can Satan have influence in the life of a believer that becomes binding and destructive yes what do we do we drive him out in jesus name he doesn't belong there and i don't get into the details about can christian have a demon as much as can a christian come under demonic power yes what do we do break that power in jesus name should a christian come under demonic power no it should never happen because we've been set free from sin, we have been liberated. The Holy Spirit dwells within us. Jesus is our Lord. We never should have to come under that, but sometimes it does happen and people need deliverance. That being said, not everything is a demon. Not everything is a demon and not everything is deliverance. 
We go from the one extreme to it's never a devil, never a demon, never the devil, never a demon, to it's always the devil, it's always a demon. Neither extreme is correct. Hey, thank you, sir, for your question. 866-34-TRUTH. Joseph in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Welcome to the line of fire. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Good afternoon. Uh, so, so my question, uh, and I just want to just kind of break this down a little bit. It's more of a question of just trying to understand something. So it, the two passages would be from chapter 1 of Matthew and the genealogy in, uh, I'm not sure if it's chapter 2 or 3 of Luke. Luke 3. But it goes through yeah. the genealogy of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mm-hmm. My question is, is that looking at the genealogies between these two Gospels, the genealogy seems to have different names for the genealogies, and they're both from the same man, the husband of Mary. Mm-hmm. Another thing, with the genealogy of Matthew, it says that there are three sets of 14 generations. Mm-hmm. And Matthew, I know, was a former tax collector, so he's very good with numbers. Mm-hmm. I doubt very highly he would make a mistake with his numbering when he says there's three sets of 14 generations. And so my question is, um, if he says 14, the three sets of 14 generations, I would, ha- from my counting anyway, I have to include Mary in that line of names to get the full third set of 14 generations. Yep. It wouldn't have to end with Mary and not with Joseph, because Joseph would be number 13 of that third set. Right, unless you count one twice. So, yeah, all, all great questions, all excellent questions, and they've been asked before. Uh, as far as the differences between the genealogies, uh, I share the view of, of other scholars, so this is not my view alone, that, that Luke gives us the genealogy uh, through Mary, Miriam, and Matthew gives us the genealogy through Joseph. That's why ultimately you have different names. And the way to read what's written in, in Luke 3, that, that Jesus was the son of so-and-so who was, it was supposed was the son of, so that when you actually read it, and, and I'll, I'll read it to you exactly from, from Luke the third chapter, that it was supposed he was the son of, but now it's actually going to go through Miriam's father, and, and that's the best way to read this. So Luke, the third chapter, and the end of the... Um, so now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began to ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, but actually the son of Heli, the son of Matat. So Heli would be Miriam's father, Mary's father. So the, the actual physical descent... So he has a, a Davidic bloodline, comes through Miriam, Mary, whereas his royal descent, where he would be heir to the throne, comes through Joseph, who then becomes his, his earthly father, his foster father. So that's, that's the best way to me to reconcile those. Other scholars feel the same way. So again, he was thought to be the son of Joseph, but actually the son of Heli, son of Mathoth, and goes through, through Miriam there. That's one thing. The second thing is that the, the three groupings of 14 are artificial. In other words, Matthew, like many of the Old Testament genealogies, is not quoting every name. That's why Luke's is longer. Uh, and, and again, when you, when you look at one Old Testament genealogy compared to another, generations are often skipped. So some believe that he picked the number 14 because it, it, it's 
that's the, the name David, David, Dalit Vav Dalit in Hebrew is four plus six plus four in numerically. So that stood for 14, stood for David. So he just divided them into three 14s, and one of them you have to, you have to uh, read one twice. Remember, you start, you end with one, and then start with the same one, and that's how you get to, to, to three groups of 14. Because obviously he didn't just make a mistake, and no one happened to catch it. It's like, oh, years, years later, oh, we got to fix that. The idea that you use a, a Syriac translation, and it says that Joseph is, is uh, not the husband of Mary, but the man of Mary, meaning the father of Mary. So that's, not, that, that's also a genealogy of Mary. It's not talking about her husband, Joseph. It's talking about her father, Joseph. It's just a, and that gives you 14 generations. It's just a bit of a convoluted way to read the text. It removes that problem that you raise, uh, but it's a bit of a convoluted way to, to think that that's what the Syriac actually means there. So that's why I put a question mark next to it. So those are some of the reflections. If you want to get in depth on it, volume four of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, I dig in deeper. But these are great questions. This is the simplest I can answer in this context. So, so back to you. No, that, that answer, that, it, it's, it's, yeah, I, I think that it does require more study. And the, the more I study, the more I want to get closer to the original language, because at this point, like, I, like for me, like, I, I, I know I called you about uh, a one that uh, Kevin Jeffrey translated that's kind of like the Young's Literal, and I have plans on getting a Young's Literal soon, because I, I don't, I mean, it's not the most structured grammatically, but it's the whole purpose is to be as faithful to the, the Greek yeah. and the Hebrew as yeah, you can. The- but the, pro- really, the problem is, yeah. The, the, just to, jo- to jump in, Joseph, the problem is that it's not necessarily being faithful to the Hebrew or Greek by being hyperliteral, because that's reading it in Hebrew, not reading it in English. And it can potentially give a misleading impression. Anyway, keep digging. Volume 4 of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus. I deal with this in some depth. You, you'll find it helpful. Let's keep talking. All right. Oh, real quick. Um, our time is short. Derek in Vancouver, Washington. Dive in with your question. I'll try to answer quickly. I'll be as quick as possible. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Excellent. Okay. Um, so Romans chapter 5, verse 13. Mm-hmm. Um, for until the law of sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Yep. My question is, the law was given exclusively to the Jews, mm-hmm. not to the Gentiles. And so what is the state of imputation of sin to the Gentiles before the law, yep. during the law, and after the law? Right. Um, great, great particularly point. Yeah, in, go uh, okay. No, go ahead. Um, particularly because Paul is writing to a mixed community yep. of Jews and Gentiles in Rome, and so the Gentiles that were... Right, t- tell you what, I'm, I'm going I'm to rudely cut you off, only so I can answer, Okay. So sin is still sin. Sin is still destructive. Sin brings death, but it's not called transgression, breaking of the law, when there is no law. So God dealt with the Gentiles. Sin still had consequences, but he dealt based on more universal moral principles. Check out Amos 1 and 2 for that. Acts 17, 30 then says, in the past, God overlooked some of the ignorance, but now, Acts 17, 30, he commands all men everywhere to repent. So it's now all equal playing field for the whole world. Another program powered by the Truth Network.